If there's anybody in the history of the world that would say, the, I think the greatest miracle that he can't get over is that his name was registered in heaven, it would be the Apostle Paul. There has to be nobody else on the planet that's ever would, would, would say, I, I still can't believe that I'm in heaven, you know, with all that Paul had done. Today we're going to start a brand new series into the life, uh, or into kind of a, the, a peak, so to speak, into Paul's life, and then we'll move into... After this little mini-series on Paul, we'll move into the book of Galatians that he wrote to the church of Galatia, but there's so much great stuff for us to grab out of that and to put on a shelf for us to lean into. So there, during this mini-series, I really want you to pay attention to Go Deeper, uh, because Go Deeper is a place that um, I'll be able to give you some more stuff to cut your teeth on, not just a devotional, but some stuff to really speak to your head and teach you some things uh, during this next couple weeks that we spend together on this topic. And so this week's Go Deeper uh, really explores what a Pharisee is. It gives kind of a, uh, you know, you don't have to be a theologian to understand what I'm unpacking here in the Go Deeper, but I think it'll be helpful to you uh, because a lot of times we'll look at the Pharisees with a very negative light and, and rightfully so. After all, they were the ones that plotted to kill uh, and the scheme to kill our Lord, and they were successful at doing that. But it's important to know who they are because it's also important because Paul was formerly known as Saul. So today we'll take a look at uh, the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, he's the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament that you and I read. Many of the verses that you've memorized over the years are verses that Paul had penned under the revelation and the power of the Holy Spirit. But in order to really appreciate Paul, we have to first look at him by his former name, and that is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And for that, we need to understand, in order to really understand Saul of Tarsus, we need to understand the events that follow the resurrection of Jesus Christ a little bit further. Because the Apostle Paul first shows up in the scene in the book of Acts. And uh, just like any uh, famous person, so to speak, um, there, are, um, there are those kind of behind-the-scenes, before-they-were-famous kind of moments where they existed. I love to watch the videos of uh, great CEOs or great inventors and, and see little snapshots of when they were kids or when they were young uh, to see if I can recognize the stroke of brilliance that one day that they would have for the world. And oftentimes, they just seem like ordinary people uh, and that they did extraordinary things. Well, Paul certainly was one of those guys we didn't hear anything about until he was already in the throes of being a persecutor. But I jump ahead. So let's examine first what, it, what the events that uh, followed up to the, res you know, right, followed the resurrection, um, because it's very important because we get to see a lot of, what, uh, of who Saul was. And as we discussed last week, man, Easter was such a great day to celebrate a life change. But we talked about some proofs. Uh, if, you, if you missed last week, go back and watch it. You'll see seven different, uh, I would call them irrefutable, undeniable proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's so many I could have given you, but for the length of time, I, I chose just those seven. But one of the ones I camped out on longest was the, the proof of life change or the dramatic change of the disciples. The disciples had gone from being men who were fearing death and deserted Jesus in their darkest hour and ones that had professed at some point their undying love to Jesus and their undying uh, alignment with him and that they would go with him even to the grave we see that they abandoned him. And then we find in the book of Acts, after his crucifixion, that the men are hiding in a secluded place. They are still trying to preserve their own lives. They were afraid of death. And one of these men that we knew that is, is such a great opportunity for us to do a character study, and we'll do it sometime together as a church again, was on the life of Peter. 
Because Peter was one of those guys that sat in the upper room with Jesus and said, there's no way in the world that I will ever deny you as my Lord and Savior. And Jesus told him, you remember that night in the upper room? He said, Peter, you'll be the one that's going to deny me three times before this night is over. And Peter said, no, I I will die long before that ever happens. And Jesus says, it'll happen tonight. And later that night, the, the giant of a man, Peter, finds himself outside, scared for his life, and buckles under the pressure of an accusation of not some big soldier with a knife or a sword. I was going to say gun, but that would be awkward. You know, they didn't have guns back then. He buckles to the pressure of a servant girl, of all things. What, would, what could have that girl done to him? But he was so afraid, and he denies that he knows Jesus. You see, before we could really understand um, the power of the dramatic life change, we have to never forget the power of fear that, that was exhibited in the disciples' lives. They were terrified. We get to see the snapshot of, of Peter, but it existed through all of the disciples because they weren't there at the foot of the cross. Only John, Mary, and Martha were there at the foot of the cross. But we get to see that Peter, once the denier, once the one that was famous for his denial, suddenly in the book of Acts... After he meets the resurrected Jesus, a new character emerges. Although we don't change his name, we certainly change our opinion about Peter and his fear. Peter becomes bold, even beyond his own wildest imagination. Nothing better contrasts the before and after transformation of a disciple than Peter's first speech that he would give in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Here are just some quotes of what he would say to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law, the ones that very effectively persecuted and um, um, punished and killed his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very, the very same people that he was afraid of when he would deny Jesus are now the very same people he's back in front of. But now he has a context that Jesus was murdered for this stuff, and now him sticking his neck out, he's likely to suffer the same consequences. But we see a major change in Peter. Here's some of the things he said. Again, this is the context of our, our conversation with Saul today. Peter would say this boldly. He says, you nailed him to the cross and killed him in verse 23 of Acts 2. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life because death could not keep him in his grip. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God who has made Jesus, who, by the way, you crucified to be the Lord and the Messiah. And Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all the listeners to save yourself from this crooked generation. And then verse 41 gives the fruit of, Paul, of Peter's work. It says, those that believe what Peter said that day were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Peter was dramatically changed. Was he still afraid? Absolutely. But did that fear stop him? Absolutely not. He was afraid for his life. He once buckled under pressure, but now we see him as this bold person. So how is it possible and why is it possible? Well, last week we talked about that. It's the proof of the resurrection. How would anybody be so dramatically changed if he didn't, in fact, see the resurrected Jesus Christ and have a relationship encounter with him? When you and I have a relationship encounter with Jesus Christ, our lives are changed. They should be changed dramatically because of our encounter with the resurrected king should give us a lot of confidence in living our life out with great purpose. Peter saw that. 
But not only did he see the resurrected king, something else happened in him that needs to happen in all of us. That Peter stopped fearing death. He stopped fearing death. He understood that death was actually a gain to him. He realized that he doesn't need to worry about being put to death for his faith because he believes in something that's greater than this mortal life that he lives in, something that's beyond himself. While scrolling through social media this week, I came across a a communicator named Jackie Hill Perry who was um, speaking to a a conference somewhere, and, and, and it caught my attention in the context of what I'm sharing with you today. And so I'll do my best to try to recap what she said. She said, that when you finally believe that death is suddenly gained to you, here's what it is. You'll stop fearing death. When you suddenly believe, follow me, when you suddenly believe that death is gain to you and I, you will stop fearing death. And when you stop fearing death, well, you stop fearing those who can kill your body. And so then you stop fearing who? People, the people who can kill your body. And what happens when you stop fearing people? Well, you stop being afraid of offending them. And what happens when you aren't afraid of offending people? Well, you'll start being willing to speak the truth to everyone. As Christians, we speak the truth in love, never as a soapbox, never as a bash, but we speak the truth in love. Why are they willing to speak the truth to everyone? Because what's the most they could do? Kill you? You see, when you finally believe that death is suddenly a gain to you, everything changes. So imagine how your life would be. Christian, that you've already encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. But if you come to a place in your life where you actually believe that what is on the other side of this mortal life, eternity in heaven, that's promised by God, somehow is more valuable than the life that you and I live today. Hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? I'm telling you, you can wrestle a long time over that topic because all we know is our mortal life. But sadly, most of us have become, I think, more of life worshipers than than people who really understand eternity. And we have little, very little desire to part to depart and be with the Lord. Many of us just want to hold on to this life. You see, fear has always been the principal enemy of both evangelism and your growing faith, and to encounter what God wants to teach you. Fear. Why are we so afraid? You've encountered the resurrected King. Imagine what your life would look like when you break the bondage of fear and your fear of death of this world. Imagine what you can do. My mind can sort through a Rolodex of, um, of people throughout, the, uh, throughout my contemporary history who clearly didn't worry about this life. And they were so bold and they accomplished so many great things. It's my firm belief that there's people listening to my my voice in this room and online that have the potential to be world changers. And God is just waiting for you to no longer be afraid of man and no longer afraid of death and understand there is a eternity that is far greater and that has huge implications in eternity as to how we live our lives here and the boldness that we have and the confidence that we have in Christ. If you've met the resurrected king as your savior, Jesus Christ, as your forgiver and your leader, and you have a proper perspective of this life versus your eternal life, then you have the same ability to be as bold and as effective as any of the disciples. But it wasn't just Peter who changed suddenly. Every disciple changed. Suddenly, we see 
even in the face of persecution and opposition, they, they don't seem to be stopped or deterred. Let's read together uh, an incredibly intense situation that unfolds in chapter 5 of, of the book of Acts, starting in verse 17. And we're going to read uh, several verses. So track along with me if you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 5. I'll give you a, a second. I can hear pages turning. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. The high priest and his officials, these were the, 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 the apostles are getting ready to, to meet this huge opposition. Because the high priest and the officials, who were the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And these guys were outspread in the gospel. This was after Jesus had been resurrected. There was a huge change in the disciples. They arrested the apostles and they put the apostles in public jail. This is so great. I love this part of the story. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gate and brought them out. And then he told the disciples, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. He's saying, go, you guys are out of jail. Isn't it great that God just releases people from jail? How frustrating it must have been to them. But you want to see how frustrating it was? Keep reading on. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Now, they weren't supposed to be here. They were supposed to be in jail. But then now they're immediately teaching. And when the high priest and the officials arrived, they convened the high council. So get this in mind, they, they, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Um, and so they, they think the guys are in jail. And so they're convening a meeting about what we're going to do with these men. They sent the apostles to be brought from the jail to the trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, rut row, the guys are gone. And so they returned to the council and they reported that, uh, well, uh, the jail was securely locked. Yeah, it has one key and I have the key. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that, Steve. I know that you want to appreciate my humor with that. When the temple, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead. So when they returned, um, I lost my, my part. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, nobody was there. And the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, and they were perplexed, and they're wondering, when will all this end? Stop it! What's going on? You can just imagine. What in the world is happening? And then someone arrived. So here they are just trying to process the news. They're still trying to plan everything, and someone arrived with startling news. Uh, guys, the guys you're talking about, the men who you put in jail, they're actually standing in the temple preaching right now. They're teaching people. How crazy that must have felt to them. They were plotting what to do next, and they were already out doing exactly what they were trying to keep them from doing. Verse 26, well, the captain went with his temple guards, and they arrested them again, but without violence, because they were afraid the people were going to stone them for arresting them forcefully. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Like, listen, men, this is a, now you've got to just understand this for a second. This was a highly intimidating circumstance. They were just imprisoned and they got out. They were just arrested and now brought back into private quarters. Now no longer can the public see what's taking place. And they know that the last time Jesus stood behind these men in private, it didn't fare well for him. All the disciples together. It wasn't like they only caught one of us. It says that all the disciples were here. These were the disciples that were once afraid for their lives but were emboldened when they saw the resurrected Christ and understood that death was gain to them. They began to preach the gospel, but now they're standing in front of the people who could take away their very 
life. Verse 27 again, they brought the apostles before the high council where the priests confronted them. And they said, guys, we gave you strict, strict orders. Are you kidding me? Never again to teach in this man's name. Do you think they were serious about that? You think that came with some real intense belief that in fact, that if they were to violate this, something bad was going to happen to them? He said, but instead you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. You're trying to make us responsible for Jesus's death. And Peter, he says, well, I'm sorry. This is a man who's seen the resurrected Christ and no longer fears death. He says, we must obey God rather than any human authority. You catch that? They didn't fear death. They didn't fear man. And so he was able to speak the truth regardless of the consequences. Do you think all the disciples were afraid in this moment? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. But there is a big difference between being afraid and being immobilized by fear. The, the human emotion of fear will grip all of us at some point in time. But because you're a child of God, you don't have to fear death. You can be bold in the midst of a circumstance where we're proclaiming Christ and not be immobilized by your fear. Verse 30 says, the God of our ancestors, this is what Peter would go on to say, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. And then God put him in a place of honor at the right hand as a prince's savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And so, yeah, they, you guys did kill him, he's saying. He says, you tried to pin this death of Jesus on us. And he's like, yeah, because you did it. Verse 33, when they heard him say this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. Do you think the disciples were scared? Do you think they were afraid? Absolutely. Were they immobilized by their fear? Absolutely not. You can imagine the intensity of this moment, can't you? Can you see it? How dangerous of a situation all the disciples have found themselves in. But one member of the Pharisees, a guy named Gamaliel, who was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people, he stood up and he ordered that the men be sent outside the chamber for a while. He's like, boys, just go out there for just a second. We need to talk. And so Gamaliel would say to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do. Be careful. Because some time ago, there was that fellow... Um, Theodos, remember him, who pretended that he was something great and he had about 400 people join him, but eventually he was killed. And remember, the, and their followers eventually scattered and went their own ways, and that whole movement became nothing. And after him, there was a time of census where there was Judas of Galilee, and he got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers were, were scattered. So here's what Gamaliel says. Here's my advice, boys. I think we need to leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely of their own, well, it'll soon be overthrown. <laughs> but if this is from God, you're not going to be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. What wisdom in this Pharisee's voice. You see, Gamaliel was one of the most notable and influential rabbis in history. When he spoke, everybody listened. Gamaliel was as wise and as even-tempered as they come for a rabbi. He was well known for his wisdom. And Gamaliel was not only a rabbi, he was kind of a professor of sorts. He 
was a teacher. All the future Pharisees would come up underneath the teaching of Gamaliel. And one such of those students would be a young boy or young man named Saul of Tarsus. Paul would tell us this in Acts chapter 22. I was trained under Gamaliel. Therefore, because he was a student under Gamaliel, there's a high probability. Now, there's no evidence of this, but I believe so. There's a high probability that this young Saul of Tarsus, a student under the tutelage of Gamaliel, would have been in the room when this conversation had happened. It's highly probable that Saul was audience to all that was taking place. So what would happen next might light the fire in Paul's heart to be righteously indignant against the followers of Jesus Christ. Because they heeded the words of Gamaliel, but listen to what it says in verse 40. They accepted Gamaliel's advice, but it wasn't quite as easy for them. They still were furious at these men. And so they called in the apostles, and what do they have them do? They were flogged. Remember what flogging is? Who last was flogged? Jesus. Do you remember how painful that was as the cat of nine tails would rip into his flesh and beat him? Remember the pain that he exhibited and encountered? The disciples are now experiencing a taste of what Jesus had to go through. They called in the apostles and they had them flogged. And they ordered them to never, ever, 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 ever. I'm trying to specify or clearly understand and communicate to you that these guys were saying, don't ever do this again. Don't ever speak again. They ordered them never, ever again to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And they let him go. But listen to this. The apostles left the high council rejoicing <laughs> that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Do you see that these disciples were clearly convinced that Jesus had resurrected? And do you see that they didn't fear death any longer? They didn't fear man. And so they were willing to do what they were called to do, and that is to share the gospel. Now imagine you have these men who are standing there that all are bleeding across their backs at this point in time. Their clothes have been ripped to shreds. I would imagine it would take weeks for the wounds to probably heal across their backs. If there'd ever been a time in Scripture where it said, and the disciples all went home and nursed their wounds, and once they recovered, they began to serve Christ in the way that they were called to. The story doesn't end that way. Instead, what it says, and every day, even after being flogged, every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus was the Messiah. Are you kidding me? This is the culture of life change that Jesus can bring. The major change in the disciples when they encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ is they stopped fearing death. And they saw persecution and punishment as a gain. And they were joyful. They saw death as a gain. How in the world can we wrap our minds around that? There's a mystery there for us to understand. Very few people in the room maybe understand the mortality and can begin to see a side of the eternity that waits for them. But I'm persuaded that if you and I could somehow catch a glimpse of that, if we could just ask God to give us a better understanding of the eternity, maybe for you God's going to ask you to do some research and reading on eternal life 
Because for us as mortals, I think that we oftentimes just kind of feel like it's something that I can't even wrap my mind around, so I'll stop thinking about it. Or some of us have taken heaven down to such a degree that we think, is it going to be boring when we get there? Are we singing the same songs for the rest of our lives? You know, as if you're in the ministry, you know you're probably going to be the ones moving the chairs all around because that's what we do in church. What is it that we're going to be possibly doing for the rest of our lives? Saul of Tarsus would have seen what took place. And he would have been baffled by the energy that was given to the apostles when they were flogged. It had to have confused him. Gamaliel says, you can't stop this if you don't try to fight against her. You'll be fighting against God, Paul or Saul would have heard. But there was something in Saul that just needed to go further. See, the primary role of the Pharisees, which Paul was a Pharisee, and you're going to learn more about this when you do your study, was a noble thing. They were there to preserve the Mosaic law and the law of the prophets, and the oral traditions in the Torah. They were, they were there to preserve these things. And by the way, because of the, the Old Testament we have today is largely in part of the efforts that the Pharisees would have done. But they weren't satisfied just with the preservation of those things. They took it a little bit too far. And, and there was, yes, there were laws for purification and um, for atoning of sins and, the, and temple worship. There was laws associated with that that were found in the Mosaic law. But they would write another 613 laws, not just for the internal things that happen in the temple, but how I want to control your life, to give themselves a, pi- a priority and a piety. Um, and they would make them out to be these religious zealots in order to make sure that everyone was doing the right thing. We would call them very legalistic today, the way they carried out. But Jesus would use a lot harsher words. Jesus was really tough on those guys. Because they were making the law higher than God. See, these guys, the Pharisees, were so familiar with the Word of God and the prophecies of God. (laughs) Unfortunately, they missed Jesus altogether. How is that possible that you could miss the prophecies about him and not recognize that Jesus was fulfilling these things, but it happened? In addition to that, the Pharisees had enormous political influence and power, as we know, because they were able to have Jesus executed. The great Josephus, the, the, um, the great historian, the, the secular historian, would remark this about the Pharisees. Is the Pharisees had so great a power over the multitude that when they said anything against the king or against the high priest, they were believed. Did you hear that? The Pharisees' word was taken even higher than the king and the high priest. They had a lot of clout and a lot of power. A lot of Christian people unfortunately, tend to still act like Pharisees today. We want to have all the rules and hang them over everyone's head, but please don't ever get caught up in thinking you're something special. We're still sinners saved by grace. Well, Saul of Tarsus was a student becoming a Pharisee and one day would be the chief of Pharisees, so to speak. He would call himself the chief of sinners and also the chief persecutor of the church. He rose to a high level within the Pharisees in terms of clout While he was a student of a very wise and even-tempered rabbi named Gamaliel, Paul, on the other hand, had a different temper, a different temperament. He was a zealot. He was charged and he was driven with righteous indignation. He had a noble job and he wanted to carry it out and he felt like he was carrying out the will of God. Don't miss that. He thinks he's doing the right thing. 
And he figures this Christ movement was preaching something that's different than the law and the prophets. He missed Jesus altogether. And he's like, we've got to wash this out. We've got to squash this out. I know Gamaliel is saying that just leave it alone. It'll go away. But I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to persecute Christians. I'm going to kill Christians. I'm just not going to flog them. Professor Anthony um, Salderini would say in his Bible dictionary that the Pharisees were the defenders of the Torah and oral tradition and established countless rules and laws for the Jewish people to follow. Jesus, however, challenged the Pharisees by attacking their laws. For example, regarding purity regulations concerning the washing and food as well as rules around the Sabbath. The effect of Jesus' teaching was to widen the reach of the gospel and to loose the norms of his followers. This is the thing I want you to pay attention to. Thus, Jesus created a new community outside of the Pharisees' control, and that naturally provoked them to, to, to protest in hostility. He fired up, and Jesus was firing up the Pharisees because everything that they were trying to guard and protect seemed to be unraveling in this new life that Jesus was per, per, in his persona in teaching in his gospel. So Saul's actions were seen as evil as Christians, but in Paul's own eyes, it was self-righteous. It was righteous indignation. And I'm sure that the number of people that Paul killed under his effort, or Saul would have killed under his efforts against Christianity, must have haunted him at night. And I'm sure he didn't sleep well, especially as he would become a believer and realized as the song sang, but the greatest miracle of all that I can't get over is that my name is written in heaven. Paul would never believe that he would be worthy of experiencing faith in God. So we've seen this morning that Peter had a dramatic change when he encountered Jesus, and he no longer feared death. We see that the disciples had an, an amazing strength that came about when they encountered the resurrected Christ and no longer feared death. We see that Paul will also be a man who will do the very same thing. Next week, we'll learn about that. But I want to close today's message with one more story that has the same footprint, the same DNA, the same modus operandi, M-O here, of a guy named Stephen who had encountered the resurrected Christ He no longer feared death, but unfortunately, it cost him his life. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51, here was Stephen's final speech. Listen as you hear no fear in his voice as he's facing an eminent demise. He says, you stubborn people. You're a heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? This is what your ancestors did, and so do you. Listen, name one prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom, by the way, you betrayed and you murdered. <laughs> you deliberately disobey God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. 
And he saw Jesus, the resurrected king, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, guys, look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. That would have been blasphemy to the Pharisees and those teachers of the law that were there. In verse 57, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. And they rushed at him. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with their sins. (laughs) Wow. And with that, he died. Stephen had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ and no longer feared death. To him, to die would be gain. In such a degree that he'd be willing to ask God not to hold these men accountable. And Saul overlooked this. A strong-willed person heading in the wrong direction, fighting against God all the while while he's thinking he's doing the right thing watching Christians breathe their last breath, confusing him as they would celebrate as they crossed over from life into death. We see this with Peter. We see this with the apostles. We see this with Stephen. And next week, we're going to see it with Saul of Tarsus. These men weren't insane. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. Which brings me to you. Are you a life worshiper preserving your mortality here on earth and yet still call yourself a Christian who have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ in your heart and received him as your Lord and Savior? Do you live your life like this life doesn't matter but the next life is more important? I know that's hard to wrap your mind around. That's why I'm asking you a tough question because I think you've got to wrestle with that. If us to live as Christ and to die as gain is just a verse that we've memorized and not something we've internalized, then we need to go spend time asking God, can you give me a taste and an understanding of that? Because for us, we're afraid sometimes just to invite a friend to church. We're afraid to share our faith with somebody. We're, you know, unfortunately, fear is the greatest uh, miss. Our fear messes up our evangelism and it impedes our sanctification and life change. Why are we so afraid? This morning, you've heard a message that is talking about how life change is possible. And every one of us would agree that this was dramatic life change. And the same God that they served is the same God that you confess to serve. So can I just ask you, where's your boldness? If you lack boldness, then you might be a worshiper of this life and not a worshiper of the resurrected King who can give you power to radically change this world that we're placed in for this season. We know that what we're facing in this world is a heightened level of persecution in the days to come. 
you as believers are going to be the ones that have to walk through this and your children. I think it's easy now to stand up, so why don't we stand up now before the winds begin to blow hard at us? I want you to invite people to church. Today you've heard a message of hope and of life change. In the seat pocket in front of you are some cards, some invitation cards. I've talked about them before in the past, and I want you to take more with you today. They represent, in each bag, they represent three people who didn't hear a message of hope today. And I want you to invite them because maybe they'll come next week and hear a message of hope. The greatest life change story of all times. Saul of Tarsus, who moves in to a man named Paul. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, and I pray that you would bury this message deep in our hearts with conviction. It is so easy, Lord, so, so, so easy for us just to get comfortable in our Christianity and enjoy the fact that I can come to you and ask for forgiveness of sins. So comfortable, so easy. But Lord, you've called us to be something greater than that. And you've placed us in a generation where Christians must begin to stand up. Teach us, Lord, not to fear death. When we understand not to fear death, we'll understand not to fear people. When we understand not to fear people, we'll not be afraid of offending people with truth. And we'll speak the truth in love. Because after all, Father, they're dying to be separated with you if they don't hear this truth and accept it. Let us be the brokers of such great truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I thank you for being here today, and I pray that you will take some homework assignments with your Go Deeper. Learn more about the Pharisees. It'll really help you kind of unpack more of what I'm talking about today. But I also pray that you would join us for every step of the way for the next eight weeks, because we're going to go deep into the book of Galatians and a little more in Paul's life. For those of you who are hungry to get deep in God's Word, we're going to have a season where we're going to go deep together. I'm excited about it. And I pray that you'll join me all the way through that. Your next steps this week, potentially, maybe it's to join um, our Membership Essentials class on Wednesday. Maybe it's to join a small group. Maybe it's to begin giving for the very first time. And thank you again for your faithfulness in doing that. Thank you so much. On the bottom of my heart, I mean it. But I also want to encourage you, baptism's around the corner. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Maybe baptism's your next step. Be sure to sign up and let us know that you're ready to do that. We love you guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week. God bless.